Yo, Chuck, run a power move on him. May I say something to you to give you a true knowledge of yourself and life so that the same glory and success attained by other men who understand themselves may be yours? Man in the full knowledge of himself is a superb and supreme creature of creation. When man becomes possessor of the knowledge of himself, he becomes master of his environment, the captain of his own ship, the director of his own destiny, the accomplisher of his own ends. Welcome back to part two of the Brooklyn Combine podcast featuring our esteemed guest, Anthony Rico. And it's really clear and simple what's going on because from the money standpoint, you now have a generation of white men, majority of, who have capitalized off of Facebook, Twitter, um, uh, your, your cell phone, with me and you in that courtroom and Keith, we, we see what they can do from a rule of law standpoint from, from um, compartmentalizing that data and you're absolutely right. That's how decisions are being made of what concepts should we go with today. And today... Ken, I'm sorry to cut you off. No, I'm, I'm good. You, you've been going down to Washington now for the Defender Services meetings, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They haven't, are they having budget meetings about this year? Hell no. No. They're talking about two, three years down the line. Three to five years down the line. They got the long-term, they call it the long-term strategic plan. So all of a sudden, you're going to do something today that's going to up, like upset five years of market? Come on. Look, um, I'm not that naive. Um, so what then is going on? Well, the, the, the country is great at co-opting its opposition. And co-opting is op- opposition means something that Dr. Frances Cress Wellesley said in her Cress theory of color confrontation. And she said that sometimes um, the, the circumference of a predicament is so wide that you think that you're walking in a straight line, but in reality, you're just going around in a big circle. You don't recognize it as a circle because the circumference of the journey is long. So people will say, for example, I noticed that there people was texting back and forth and they said, oh yeah, things are going to change, but it's going to be decades from now. Okay. What's going to change? And what is going to take decades from now? What are you talking about? I mean, this is a, it's a, it's a fine sounding cliche, but what does, well, things will change but it's gonna take decades. Can I ask a question? Does that mean that some little 11 year old black kid is gonna get shot in the back today? Or somebody's grandmother is gonna get choked to death on the street? And, 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 and we, got, we, we just gotta endure that for the next some odd decades because somehow magically this thing is gonna quote unquote change? That's not realistic. Um, now that's an opinion. So how do you know it's true? All right. So then y'all reconvene a few decades from now and see what you're talking about. Um, you know, um, Kim Montgomery sent me a link to some brilliant African-American people sitting around talking in 1973. 
And they were talking about what the future was going to be. It's scary. It's scary. Some bright people at that table, some serious people at that table. None of them had it right. None of them had it right. Because we are dealing with issues today that, and let's say, when I was a teenage boy, a black, a black kid, none of y'all know, y'all, y'all never even heard of the name of um, Ricky Bodden. Y'all don't, y'all don't know Ricky Bodden. Y'all, don't, y'all know Clifford Glover because that case had gotten more publicity. But y'all don't know that eight months before that, Ricky Bodden was 10 years old, shot in the back of Staten Island, and that he died, and that the officer was never charged anything. Um, and so, you know, that was 1972. So here we are, what, 40 years later? 50 years later? 48 years later? You know, decades, decades, decades in the future? And we still having the same conversation. Part of it is because as we go through the tragedies of these shootings and these events, we have other people dictating to us what's the narrative, what is the lesson to be learned, what are the connectors between these, and how do we influence um, those connectors. And that is um, our, our responsibility, at least to ourselves, at least to ourselves. Um, because it's from the collective ideas and wisdom that you guys share that you're able to do the things that you all do better, the combine and the other, other things that you're interested in. You know, all of, you know, all of y'all have your own lives um, and y'all have your own responsibility, but y'all of the frame of mind to, to try to give to some of these other kids that don't have, like, where does that come from? You know, like, what does it come from? You know where it comes from? It comes from my ancestors. It's the silent whispering. Don't forget. Don't forget. And the message is passed on with the hope that it will fall on some people with some courage to get out here and make a difference. And, you know, we, we're, in, we're in the courts. Uh, and, and I, you know, I think, you know, I'm thankful for that experience, you know, uh, because it has given me a front row view to the hypocrisy of this country and how it was played out. Uh, we see it with um, Michael Flynn and, and these characters. This is the epitome of corruption played out in your face. Uh, so what you going to do about it? That's what it comes down to. What you going to do? And, oh, you're just going to bitch about it and tweet? Well, then go ahead and bitch and tweet because you're dealing with people who drop napalm. You're dealing with people who bomb from 25,000 feet. Agent Orange. You're dealing with people who put people in gas chambers. You, you, you're dealing with people who you know, crying don't affect them. Um, and so what, what do we need to be about is really ourselves. Like uh, validating ourselves, empowering ourselves, um, helping our children uh, fulfill like plat, you know, um, platforms and achievements that our parents want. You know, my, my daughter, as y'all know, Naila, uh, you know, y'all know her as a young lady. You know, I met her. She was like a little baby, you know. And, you know, when she went to um, college, you know, I, I reminded her. I said, you know, Aunt Jessie was like one of her favorite relatives. And I said to Naila, I said, you know, Naila, you know, you know, you get in, you get in, you have an opportunity to go to college. 
You know, when Aunt Jessie was a girl your age, she couldn't even dream. She couldn't go to sleep at night and put her head on the pillow and dream of going to college, to dream of having an education. And so you have an opportunity to fulfill something that she wasn't able to. Now, she was able to give you the courage to do it, but you now have that opportunity. And in turn, that's our responsibility for our children. And y'all have taken on that responsibility with respect to other people's children. And given the fact that you're all, all of you guys are burdened with tremendous personal responsibilities of your own. And that's what this thing is all about. Now, you don't get no medal for that. You don't get no seat at the table for that. You know, um, you don't, you know, you're not getting no BET award for that. You're not getting invited to Oprah Winfrey's show and you're not getting no, no guest tickets to go to the White House. You can't get no Oscars? No Oscars? No, no. But there may be one or two kids in that combine who many years from now, when you know, we are long gone, there may be one kid in that combine that'll look back and talk about Mr. Molly and Mr. Phil, Mr. Keith, you know, yo, them, those, those, those men made this for me. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for So when y'all see a guy like myself, like who am I? I'm one of the kids from the combine. Don't get it fucked up. Okay? I'm one of the kids in the combine. And when y'all look at me, y'all look at what you can do. Okay? Because I'm not no, I'm just, I'm a kid throwing rocks at tour bus. I'm telling you. With, and I didn't have Jordans on. My feet was coming out the bottom of them Converse sneakers I had. <laughs> I had the, 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 the rubber band, you know, my, on the rubber band with my feet. And, um, and it's a very humbling um, place to be. And I guess that's the, the reason why, you know, it, it's just so endearing um, to, to know y'all, man. Like, you don't have to get it right. You don't have to get it perfect, man. You just got to do it. Them young people want to get it right. Like, you guys, uh, uh, Keith and Ken, as lawyers, you guys will be a better lawyer than I. You know why? Because y'all got me to learn from. And the ones that's coming behind y'all is going to have y'all to learn from, if you let them. Now, you could be a sucker to them if that's what you want to do. But I know I ain't talking about it. And in terms of just the responsibility, you know, when I was young, a, a man who's deceased, his name was Jim Robinson. You know, he was really very instrumental in helping me. And I didn't even know at the time he was looking out for me that when he was a kid, my father looked out for him. I never knew that. He ne my father, first of all, my father never mentioned it. It was none of my business. And Jim never mentioned it to me at all. But, you know, Jim helped me out quite a bit. And in those days, I'd be like, look, I'm from a town. Like, you know, somebody doing something, you owe. So I would say, you know, what I owe you. And he said, oh, Rico, you don't owe me anything, man. Just put yourself in a position to do the same for someone else. Just put yourself in position. And that's where y'all are. Y'all are putting young people in position to make a difference. You know, you ain't defunding the police and, and all the rest of it, you know, they got the t-shirts and the slogans and, you know, and people don't even live in your neighborhood. What are they talking about? I mean, I, I'm, I'm not, listen, I'm not knocking, I'm not knocking energy. 
right? And I think somebody here, Kim Montgomery, once said, look, every opportunity to get people together is an opportunity to organize. I got it. But you always got to make, you always got to look out for the Joe Frazier left hook. Because you could be winning and these people could snatch victory from you. That's what they do. Mm. That's why they sustain. Because they then step in, maybe right at the end, just when you got them, and then invite you down a path that's going back around that giant circle. Um, Brother, that, that one of these recent one of these recent deaths is of a, a young boy named Elijah McClain. And I'm gonna tell you something, man. I was heartbroken listening to that young brother crying for his life. Please, mister, please, I don't fight anybody. I'm not a bad person. I'm a good person. I don't bother anybody. You're hurting me. Please help me. Somebody help me. Please, mister, I'm a vegetarian. I'm a good person. And the whiteies is just got one. You know, my man would have been better off. Yo, get your motherfucking hands off of me. You know, listen, he would have been better. He would have had a better chance of surviving. And to watch them kill that precious young man. You know, God almighty. You know, our people must have caught hell on these plantations. And so what do we do? We rap about it. We get some money. Right? James Brown said it best. Best. Right? We don't need no water gate. Right? Just give me some bucks and I'll be straight. And we that applies to this day. Um, you know, Keith, to go back to your point. Look, you and I can both both all of us, we the type of brothers, we don't take every case come to the door. I know I don't. I know y'all don't. I can see it in your faces. There's some people money, I don't want their money. I, I don't want their money. Um, it's called blood money. Um, they, they, these people print money. Hey, they invented money. <laughs> Look, they own money. They could give you all the money you want and everything that goes along with it. As long as you play along with the power dynamic. And that power dynamic has us constantly at the bottom and being comfortable. So, you know, a kid like myself uh, would not have gone to college, but for black people raising hell, getting the teeth kicked in, losing their felonies, being murdered, gave me an opportunity to go to college on a scholarship, Malcolm X scholarship. Uh, ain't no way in the world I would let them people know. And so here we are professionally, you know, I've been a lawyer now. <laughs> Next year will be 40 years. Man. Can you imagine it? It's a long way from going to rocks. But then on some days, it seemed like it was just yesterday. And on some days, I feel like picking up a rock and throwing another one. Uh, but, it, it, but for me, it, 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 that fact is humbling. Because it has made me understand that time is a master in this equation. We don't own time. Time got us. We don't control time. 
Time has got us. And so the question is, what you doing with your time? What's the value of your time, right? Is your time preoccupied with frustration? If it is, let's pull the plug on frustration because time is moving on. And, and time, uh, like you guys have like little children. My children was like little, you know, 15 minutes ago. And I'll, people may notice that when I see kids, I always smile because I love children. Children, somebody could say children are the future. Children are what, what this is all about. Um, and as brutal and as devastating as this has been, everybody here, each one of us in this, whatever you want to call this thing, has had somebody in our family somewhere who instilled in us a sense of education, a sense of value, a sense of direction and purpose regardless of what. And we ran with that. And we can look and see not only the results in our lives, but the results of others. Um, I, I, um, I've, I've always wanted to sit down with y'all and do this. Because I feel like I've known guys and women, um, the great Bruce McIntyre, one of the smartest, just Drop dead smartest brothers I ever met. Bruce had a heart attack, 55 years old. I was at Bruce's funeral, lowering that casket into the ground, and I'm sitting there looking, and I'm like, all of the wisdom and knowledge that Bruce McIntyre had is going right down there. Never to be heard or seen from again. We have to stop that from happening. Um, you know, we lost Ed. Rob Ellis, the brother that, uh, you know, another brother that I don't think y'all guys seem to know because he, 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 he had a, a stroke, uh, in the courtroom in the middle of cross examination. Um, and, um, all of these guys had a tremendous piece of information for us to collectively share and think about, not to reject. Not to say, oh, he don't know what he's talking about, or he only said that because he's from Brooklyn or whatever. But bits and pieces of information that we collectively decide to utilize as we move forward. You know, don't you guys notice that one is an interesting thing about the Facebook era? People put press place up on Facebook, and the first thing that people start doing is knocking. They start knocking it down. They start, you know, as opposed to somebody saying, well, Gee, you know, uh, Molly, I don't understand that point. Could you explain that to me? No one says that. Why? Because you live in a culture where people don't want you asking questions. You ain't supposed to ask questions. You're supposed to follow, get your money, get, you know, you don't need no water gate. Just get your bucks and you're straight. You know, you get your stimulus money and keep it moving. Stop asking questions. And that's we live in. We see that with juries. Look at all of these exonerations happening with all of these brothers, 10, 15, 20, 30s, for some 40 years in the penitentiary for crimes they never committed, all sent there by mostly white juries, where no one questioned or asked anything. They all just went along with it, and since it was a black face in the courtroom, no one cared. And so these, these challenges are here for us. Now, a lot of times, I'm going to tell you, I'm like a strange kid. I, I am. Because 
for a lot of people, this kind of conversation is heavy. And they say, oh, you know, I just feel so bad for what happened. Uh, not me. No. I'm inspired by this. Right? I ain't scared of now. I ain't told me, I want to know about that. Uh-uh, no, I want to know about that. Because you just think about it. I mean, look what you guys have done with the combine with, like, no money. And somehow people got tens and hundreds of millions of dollars. Yo, they fronting. It's a, it's a game. It's just perpetuating, like, uh, you know, ignorance in the status quo. <clears throat> and look, we're fortunate that we have people amongst us that are able to equip us with information and insight to help us. And that's all, uh, that's all this has really, you know, been for me. You know, I didn't really go to law school with any agenda other than I wanted to graduate. <laughs> um, and I, didn't, I don't think I approached the legal profession with any agenda other than I wanted to be a good lawyer. You know, if I'm going to do it, I might as well be good at it. And as far as life and living in this community and having children and being a part of this, I, I wanted to, I wanted to, to do better. Not perfect. Not perfect. Not at all. That's somebody else. Um, but just to, to do it a little better. When, when, you, when you get, when you, anytime you're ready, Tony, we'd love for you to, to take us away to another music break, though. Something, something, because you mentioned in the past, you know, growing up, we'd love to, to take us to something that could put us in that, in that space and time a bit. Um, Intillo, Intillo by Farrell Saunders.
You guys know what that picture is from? That's Malcolm's back. That's Malcolm's Linux. back. Yeah, somebody said it. It's on Linux, right? Yeah, he's on Linux and 115th Street. That's about two blocks from where I grew up. And there are various photos of this of this day. And um uh, this is one of my favorite because it's got Malcolm's back to us, um, at least us, but he's facing the people. And uh, it's a reminder that when he was living, most of us turned our backs on, on Malcolm. That's actual facts. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Let me ask you, how much is Harlem, yep. how much has growing up in Harlem at the time that you grew up um, impacted you in your profession and in your life? Well, that's a pretty good question. <laughs> uh, little did I know that running up and down 8th Avenue, 7th Avenue, and Morningside Park that I now live across the street from was preparing me for like basic training for being in the legal profession. Uh, it's, it's, it's just that, you know, I guess the reality of it is you can learn and grow anyway. Um, I think there's something to uh, growing up poor. Um, and when I mean poor, I mean not having access to things you want and having to have an appreciation for things that you need. Like, I'm not afraid of not having money. Um, a lot of people paranoid about not having money. Oh, my God. You know, what will I do? 
And so when you are that way, then you're poised to be compromised because you're always going to make sure that you have money. And again, the United States prints money. It's a built-in weakness. You know, I think growing up uptown allowed me to see firsthand the profound um, amount of trauma that's endured by our children. Um, it allowed me to see firsthand the destruction of families, the derailment of families. Um, and at the same time, it has allowed me to see the great love that we can have for one another, um, do have for one another. Um, growing up uptown has allowed me to see the corruption of our people. I mean, think about it. We sell drugs to each other. I mean, there was a time when young blacks looked up to older blacks for wisdom and direction. Well, if you go around here to 117th Street and 7th Avenue, you got young blacks selling drugs to their elders. Um, that's a phenomenon that didn't come out of nowhere. It's a result of decades of social alienation economic deprivation and the stripping of people their ability to dream beyond the circumstances in which they end do education and and so growing up uptown um let me know how serious this thing is and is and it also gave me a sense of urgency about you know my life and what to do with my education Look, I'm just not the black person who's going to be manipulated by white people. Um, um, you know, um, and they know it. <laughs> and so that, 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 at times that makes them uncomfortable uh, because they're, they're accustomed to being people who are in control of all situations at all times. And when they run, they're very, very uncomfortable when they're in a situation that they don't control. And they're very, very afraid of black Americans who have their own independent thought because it's their conscience. You know, some of us are people, we could go anywhere. Saying like, yo, yo, do I know you? I know you from somewhere. And you could be like, nah, nah, I don't remember. And you're cool, you're fine. Other people is like, because of the life they live, somebody go, yo, do I know you from there? Nah, man, yo, you don't know me. You know, you on God. Um, other people have a different experience in this way. And, um, you know, it's, it's like um, growing up uptown allowed me to um, do that. It, it also allowed me to see great talent loss, great potential loss. Um, it also allowed me to see hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in the hands of people who, you know, um, develop that money from, from, from drugs and other illegal activity just to have it all, you know, piss away, which shouldn't have happened. You know, look, if our liberation is going to come at the expense of selling crack to, to mothers and, and, and dope and heroin to each other, that ain't, a, that ain't a pathway to anybody's freedom. That's a pathway to hell. Um, and so, you know, people, why don't the drug dealers take that money and open businesses? Because they ain't supposed to take the money in open businesses. You're supposed to take your money in open businesses. Um, because there's no value that's going to come out of that. That's an evil that we got to 
understand, appreciate, and 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 handle. No one is going to handle that for us, other than ourselves. It's funny you so say that. It's funny you say that because you just described what our cultural default is and has been for a very long time, which is the means justify the end. Um, and and that's, that's really something to think about. I want to ask you, um, and this is for, you know, <clears throat> my introduction, um, I had tried my first federal case prior to your mentorship. I think if I would have had your mentorship at the time, I tried that case in front of Judge Sifton years ago. Might I definitely would have maybe have tried it differently, obviously. But I don't think most people from our community understand the distinction between state and federal court, and they certainly don't understand the distinction of what happens with the death penalty. Many people don't even know that it exists and it's a real thing. Uh, do you have any feelings about, I know you have a substantial state practice, you have a subs, uh, enormous federal practice, and you have a incredible death penalty practice. Um, uh, what has been your perspective on all three of those things? Because there's, there's a different type of advocacy in each one. There's some overlaying, there's some you know, transcending of skills through all of them. But it, it's, it, each of them carry its own um, challenges. Well, yeah. Well, the death penalty, of course, is one of the greatest institutional remnants of slavery and uh, legal apartheid that exists in this country. And the death penalty was utilized for the purposes of destroying African American people lawfully. Um, it, there, there is no purpose served in the public executions of people who kill. You really want to punish people, stick them in one of these penitentiaries for the rest of their life. It's a greater punishment. But um, the tremendous differences between the state and the federal prosecutions. The state criminal justice system it really is more addressed to like the nuts and bolts of social breakdown we call crimes that happens, you know, pocketbook snatch, a shooting, a robbery, an assault. Um, state courts are designed for that. The federal system is really designed to prosecute organized criminal activity. Um, you see the various conspiracy statutes that are utilized when people are crossing lines, mail fraud, wire fraud, RICO prosecutions. People coming together in an organized way um, to engage in criminal activity is usually ends up in federal court. Why? Because the United States government, the national government, prints enough money to fund the prosecutions of those cases, which includes, you know, co-opting criminals to serve as government witnesses. And so the states are just not financially equipped to handle the, the breadth of organized crime. And as you can see from these cases, they involve drugs shipped across the country in trucks and volumes and planes and buses and crates and, uh, you know, guns trafficked 
back and forth, racketeering enterprises. Um, and there are very few African-American people in our country today, even today, 2020, that have proficient federal practices. Um, death penalty, even smaller. Um, I got involved in death penalty work purely through the back door. Um, if African-American people had came out and voted and prevented George Pataki from becoming the governor of the state of New York, I probably would have never done a death penalty case in my life. But he was uh, elected here, and the first thing he, he brought in was the death penalty. And so this state did not have lawyers who had practiced the death penalty, uh, defendant death penalty cases in like 25 years. So a bunch of people were invited off of the homicide panels from all around the state and invited to sort of like a death penalty boot camp, which I attended. Um, myself, Ed Wolford, there were some other, um, maybe one or two other African Americans, as I recall. Um, and that was the beginning of, of my involvement in death penalty work. I have found it extremely challenging from this standpoint. There are very few people who go into these courtrooms and are able to communicate with jurors the truth about the life narratives of the defendants that are in the courtroom. That they're not the evil beings that they're presented to be, but in fact, one time, people's children born into this world whose lives were derailed and ultimately their dreams and promises destroyed. By who? Other human beings. Generally older human beings generally human beings whose lives are also destroyed. And so it's, it's just so important to have, when a person's life is at stake, somebody in that courtroom before a jury communicating the truth about that person's life. And so that forum has been a forum that I've been involved with now about 26 years or so, maybe a little more. Um, and I have encouraged other people to get involved, you know, Ken and others, um, to get involved in it because our people need representation in that area. Um, and so, you know, my, my practice, as, as, you, as you said before, that long introduction, um, is, um, you know, mostly um, state and federal work, mostly federal. I never intended to be, you know, I never intended to like, you know, get some award from, you know, the second circuit or anything like that. Um, I, I wanted to represent myself in the federal courtroom as a proud representative of a kid from Harlem, uh, a person from my family and my background and, um, and just proceeded in that way. Um, uh, and, um, but, I've really uh, enjoyed the opportunity to practice law. Um, you know, through practicing law, I, I was able to um, prove to myself that it could be done. Well, what's the it? That, yo, we can sustain ourselves. We don't have to go down there and work for these people. We could do it. We could do it. It's a lot of work, uh, but it's good work. I mean, you're going to do a lot of work for them, so you might as well be doing a lot of work for us. It's, it's uh, challenging, um, but look, y'all, we all out of neighborhoods where you was challenged from day one. I don't care if you're in Newark 
Central Ward, Brownsville, East New York, Compton, you know, Gary, Indiana, uh, uh, Cam, Camden, Camden, Jersey. Uh, you know, we, we're from challenging uh, backgrounds. We, we have just had to take that and then focus that into a positive dynamic. Um, and so, you know, it's inspiring, man. I'm telling you, man, it's much more interesting than watching people dunk a basketball. <laughs> it, it doesn't seem like it, but it is, man. It is like using your mind to accomplish tasks. Uh, you, you know, we, we're not like, look, we're not members of Congress, right? We don't get to go to Washington and have people stand up when we walk in the room. But we're like, three people on this call, we are the people who go into a courtroom. We have boots on the ground. Like, we're the people that's all that stuff they've been talking about. We're the ones that's trying to make it happen. And I did say trying to make it happen. Uh, because we know that there's a huge chasm between what these folks are talking about and the reality. Uh, I mean, I remember you guys had that great civil rights case. Man, Inglemeyer charged y'all out the box. Out the box. I think... He even switched the order around. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, he made, me, he, yo, I, he made me go first. I was supposed to go last in my summation. And you know, you know that cop is the cop who killed that grandmother up in the Bronx. All right, so let's take a second, listen to this, listen to this record, and come back at quick break. I wish to be. Tell me not that I'm fanatic for the things I feel inside. They are flowers of oppression, born of pain I cannot hide. Do not look upon my actions as the acts of one insane when I take up modern weapons to avenge my father's name. Let your eyes scan all the ghettos through the books of history. Then you'll understand this feeling and just how it came to be. Sure, I must admit I'm bitter for the precious blood I've bled and for the years of cruel oppression that you've heaped upon my head, for the rape of my grandmothers and the mulattoes that you have left, for the many, 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 many years of slavery with his legacy of death. Tell me not that I'm a dreamer. Oh no, it's you that cannot see. I'm just another victim of a cruel reality. What manner of man is this, I ask, who roams the seven seas, who graced the skies and birds of dawn and wanders where he please, who walks into another's home and takes his property, then slays the man, his wife and child, in the name of liberty? What manner of beast is this, I ask, who drops the napalm from the skies, then send my sons away to war, to maim and kill and die. What manner of man is this, I ask, 
who arrogantly displays his might. What matter of man is this, my friend? Needless to say, he's white. So take your hands off of me, white folks. I've done you no wrong. I'm only guilty of making you strong. I've built all of your cities, and I've worked in your minds. I've fought to protect you many a time. It was I who taught you what it is to be brave. I had great civilizations when you lived in caves. I taught you what soap was when you dyed yourselves blue. I taught you planting and harvesting too. I showed you what clothes were to cover your backs when you were in wolf skins and running in packs. When you knew nothing of the barrier of sound, it was I who taught you that this planet was round. In Palermo, Sicily, and Italy and Spain, I left monuments of my grandeur and fame. And during your dark ages, when your people were blind, I built universities to enlighten your kind. When your homeland was weak and your people were poor, it was I who brought you to America's shore. Why you did not even know how to survive, I showed you medicine to keep you alive. How earnest you seemed, how well you did learn, how vile the reward I received in return. But time is on my side. I'm sure you must know that the day will arrive when you reap what you sow. For I gave you religion, and you know it's a fact that the Christ and the Buddha and Muhammad were black. I taught you to dance, and I taught you to sing. You repaid me with treachery, with slavery, and chains. So don't touch me, waiting, and don't look surprised. No, I'm no longer fooled by your tricks and your lies. I'm aware of your game and of your history. And I'm aware of the Judas that you've been to me. So watch out for me, white folks. It's a matter of time. I'll soon be together. Then vengeance is mine. All right, so we're back. You know that cop is the cop who killed that grandmother up in the Bronx. Recently. Within a couple of years. Oh, really? Yeah. That last grandmother who got killed in the box uh, in the Bronx, that was that similar to Eleanor Bumpers. That was the same cop from that case. What I mean, you know, when people tell you that they can't identify who these people are on the police department, that's a, that's a falsehood. Um, every, every person, every, certainly every black cop who's ever served in New York City Police Department, no matter what precinct they were in, they could tell you who all the racist cops were in the police. Absolutely. And who the racist were, and who the racist were. Like all of a sudden, we don't know who racist people we couldn't. Um, it's just that if you start removing them from the police force, well, you're going to be removing a whole lot of people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, I, don't, I don't see that happening because nobody's demanding. You know, look, you, the three of us know something about something about criminal justice. People are like, well, I, I want these guys prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law, and I want them to go to jail. Right? Okay, check this out. How many Negroes have been sent to penitentiary for some reason? Many. Stop anybody from selling drugs? No. No. Right? Mass incarceration, you didn't send Negroes to 30, 40, whatever. Stop anybody from doing it. So when you you when you convict Calvin and send Calvin to the penitentiary, that's going to stop a racist from shooting another black kid. No, no. If look, if if that was the case, 
you know, arguably, um, you know, because a couple of these dudes have been convicted. The dude who shot Walter Scott was convicted. He got 20 years. That didn't stop the, the, the killing of, of George Floyd. It didn't, the, 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 Atiana, I forget that sister's last name, killed in her, in her bedroom with a nephew playing video games. I mean, that didn't stop any of these others. That didn't stop um, Elijah McCain from being killed. Um, it's the nature of the, what the beast is. And it's not sending people to jail. I mean, they should go to jail. But I'm not fooling myself to saying, because you're sending these people to jail, you're going to, you, you know, racism and the acts of racism are going to go away. It's, it's, it's almost a, it's like a, sending them to jail is... Um like the whole process and journey of the trial and arresting them and them going to jail, it actually fits more in the narrative of your oppressor and, and sort of still creates room for that oppression to still happen because it's the desecration of them black bodies and, the, and it's them saying, you know what? It's almost like the NFL's statement on Black Lives Matter now or... Um, uh, these companies saying, you know what, we ain't down with racism anymore. Let's take Miss Butterworth. Let's change Ancient Mama. It's 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 a it's a it's it's it's, it's, it's as you say a lot. It's pimp game. The point is for it to stop. For it not to be a phenomenon. Listen, Dalen Roof wanted to go to jail. Yeah. Now you say, I want to get the death penalty. I want to go to jail. I want to start the race war. He goes to a church and kills all these people up sitting there minding their business praying um and um why is he doing this because he was radicalized well, by america he was radicalized, right and then you throw on top of that a little mental health issues it's a wrap you know it's a wrap it's like you in some cultures you get people to strap bombs to themselves and go blow up a school bus you know they're radicalized and don't don't let them have a little mental health issue. You know they're good to go, and it doesn't take much doing to get African American people to sell drugs to each other. You ain't sitting done in gunpoint. Uh, it's all a part of the social dynamics that we find ourselves confronted with. Um. So, look. I know I, we took up a lot of I enjoy talking to you guys. Yeah, look, we took up a lot of your time, man. Tell us, tell us, thank you. Anybody got any parting words of Tony Rico? You gotta tell us one more, one more song that you would suggest for us. But you know, we you know, we know we we're very thankful. I am just gonna bow out, but let my brothers you gotta do it again. First of all, we definitely we definitely need probably a few more. I'm pretty sure when brothers and sisters listen to this. They'll likely be doing the same thing I was doing. I'm taking so many notes, but I'm forgetting the fact that I can go back and listen. You know <laughs> what I mean? But this needs to be done in parts. In fact, I think our next talk should be on what we discussed here because it's it's a it's a lot to be unpacked. It's a great yeah. deal to be unpacked. Yeah, I agree. I I, th I think it. I'm sorry. I think it, it should be a, a a couple more of these. But let me say this. So. In the beginning, you said that, you know, I don't say much. I actually am a very talkative guy. I talk too much, but I know when to be quiet. And when I'm in the presence <laughs> of, of people that are smarter than me, that are wiser than me, I'm, I'm quiet. So I'm quiet around you. I'm quiet around Ken, Mally, Phil. 
I, 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 you know, I'm quiet, but I know when to talk. But this is the moment where I, I do agree that, that it absolutely needs to be like a breakdown of this conversation and then a part two, time permits, um, Mr. Rico's schedule. Well, listen, I'm happy to do it. I'm like a great fan of, of um, you know, what you guys are doing. I even like venture out to Brooklyn to like check y'all out, you know, though it ain't your Brooklyn no more. Yo, they took your <laughs> bell from you. So, this, so for, for, for the listeners out there. Um, you dad, what you going to say? Yo, they took it. Yo, they took it right from Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> but for the listeners, for the listeners, um, first of all, thank you, Rico. You, you, you know, I mean, I can't even say anything. You're, you're literally a giant to us, and everything you say, you take in. Little do you know, like literally everything you say, we like, we'll dissect it later. We'll be like, yo, Rico said, and we think about it, and we and we take it in because it's meaningful. But for those at home who don't know. Rico is what um, I would call an uptown snob. So when he comes to Brooklyn, he likes to point out that uptown is a little, a little bit more of a nicer place, I guess, in comparison to Brooklyn. Other, other than the obvious connection with, with his brothers, and we appreciate every time you come down, and we, we love it, and, and, and in kind, we come uptown to you too. So, with that said, though, but, but, but you know what? But you know something. Uh huh. Motherfuckers from Brooklyn got hard. <laughs> and listen, yo, let me tell you something. People from Brooklyn got hard. You see a little dude this big in the cell, like this big, running joint, like this big, but people have heart. And, and there's a reason for it. It, it. It's no accident. It's like when you look at who came, who settled where and from where, and how did it happen, and like all of the Ocean Hill, Brownsville stuff, Brooklyn, right, all came out of that environment. It's like, you know, you really want to understand something about African-American people? Study Chicago. Mm. It ain't about, it's not about the shootings. It's about how did we get to the point where we now have turned our Black Rage, 1969-70, Cobb and Greer, Black Rage, a book that should be read by every African-American person. How is it that we then internalize that tremendous energy that existed in in the 60s? Stay loud, I'm black and I'm proud. Each one, teach one. How did we then internalize that energy inward to us and how is it that it proliferates and how could you could have a person come out of that environment supposedly became president of the united states but the conditions in there stay the same yo that's impossible that it doesn't add up with the same math but we could take that up on another day listen I really appreciate this. What's the next song? And we got. We love you, brother. What's the next song? Give us a song. You got You have. Since it's late, you got to go with Naima by. Um, um, you can do Trains Naima, but if you really was kicking it, you would do Doug and Gene Kahn's version 
of Naima, which is absolute classic. You know, black classic, you know, not white folks classic. Negro yeah. classic. <laughs> Yo, um, respect, um, love, uh, respect, love, love you so much, man. Yes, brother. Yeah. Right, wow. You guys, man, thank you very much. All right, no worries. I'm too. See you later. Appreciate yeah. you. Peace. Yeah.
to love. 